Welcome to the Turning Point Podcast. I am Marita Spada, and if you are already a fan of the podcast, welcome back. If you're new to the podcast, I speak with creatives and entrepreneurs about what turning points had the most impact in their lives. We discuss business, creativity, mental health, and how those may be interconnected with each other. Turning points can be anything in life. For me, it was when I packed up everything I had in three suitcases and moved from Puerto Rico to San Francisco. In today's episode, we discuss culture in companies and how may this affect people's performance. My guest today is Dr. Steve, who has 25 plus years experience in leadership, change management, and diversity and inclusion consulting. His book, Pride Leadership, is one of the first to focus on developing leadership talent specifically for the LGBT plus Q community and its allies. He is the owner and principal of a learning and development consulting firm based in Orlando, Florida. Before we kick off the show, if you are enjoying the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you can leave a rating and a review in any of the platforms of your preference. Now, without further ado, let's kick off the show. Dr. Steve, it's a pleasure having you here. I'm really excited to have this conversation today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So I like to kick off learning a little bit about your background and your story and what are you up to today? <laughs> uh, well, my background. Um, so I am Steve Iacovelli. I live in sunny or pseudo sunny Orlando, Florida. I'm originally from the Philadelphia area, but I've um, been down here for 20 some years. So I, I'm, I guess I'm kind of a Floridian because my blood is very thin. And right now we're going through a cold spell and I'm cold for us is like 70 degrees. So it's, <laughs> it's yes. chilly right here. Um, but I am the owner and principal of Top Dog Learning Group. We are a learning development, leadership and change management and diversity and inclusion consulting firm. Um, again, based here in Orlando, but I have uh, top doggers, as I call them, throughout North America and, and beyond. And we work with both large Fortune 500s as well as smaller not-for-profits and, uh, and uh, mid to, to small size organizations, really just helping foster inclusivity and leadership within their workplace. And I've uh, been doing that for, for quite some time. Um, had the pleasure of being internal to organizations like uh, Disney, uh, IBM, and then I've been doing this external thing since 2008 and uh, also known as the gay leadership dude. Um, uh trademark on that. Uh, but it, that's, that. that's kind of like the focus on um, really being bringing inclusivity, not just to the LGBTQ community, but of course, to our awesome allies as well. That's amazing. And this is a very something for me, at least very close that I, I live with every day, because I being a lesbian woman being Latina too. So I'm, I'm like part of so many different minority <laughs> groups. I'm like, I'm the poster child for minorities because I check so many boxes, love I it. feel like. Love it. <laughs> and my nine to five is in the tech industry. And so oh, I, nice. I, I wanted to ask you a question that maybe this is more for me than the listeners to be completely honest. <laughs> with you. Um, in your expertise and in your opinion, why do you think that members of the LGBT community um, are very underrepresented in leadership positions. Like you see C-level people and even middle management is very few. Uh, I wouldn't say the were rep misrepresented, but I would say that one of the challenging things about, um, I can say now, our, um, our community is that we're an invisible minority. And, and, I, and mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I, I, I'm I, a white cisgender gay dude but you take the gay out of the equation, I'm just another white dude, you know, working away. And so, you know, if I choose not to be my authentic self at work, if I stay in the closet, it, I, you know, I could quote unquote 
probably pass um, as, as a straight dude. And, and so I, I think that's the challenge. I don't know if it's underrepresented, but I don't know, don't know if um, even given that the recent things that happened with the Supreme Court this summer about um, you know protected classes from um, LGBTQ folks, gender identity expression, sexual orientation, uh, not being fired because of those items, I still wonder if people have that fear of being out. And I think, um, I don't know if we're underrepresented, I just think a lot of folks just aren't comfortable being their authentic selves at work, which makes it seem like maybe we're not being represented at all, but different levels within a workplace. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think I should have maybe phrased the question that way now that I'm in retrospect, because yeah, yeah. the way that, for example, I work in the tech industry, they're very open, as you probably mm -hmm. know, with the LGBT community. Yep. But I have family and friends, uh, two different industries, one the pharmaceutical industry, one the finance industry. The mm -hmm. finance industry, as I, you know, hopefully I don't offend anyone, but it seems more of a boys club. So I yeah. feel that, that people in the LGBT community might feel like, oh, if I put myself in that position, am I not going yeah. to be promoted? Am I not going to be respected? I, th I think it's, and it's, it's a really gorgeous and complex situation. So yep. it's funny you mentioned those two industries because they're two of my biggest clients, especially from the queer perspective, which is just hysterical. Um, I've been doing a bunch of keynotes, uh, even virtual keynotes in this weird time, uh, working with their LGBTQ employee resource group. So um, I think it depends on a couple of things, maybe not so much the industry, but the organizational culture, as well as the focus of that workplace, of that business, on being inclusive. And I use the phrase being consciously inclusive, it's part of my book, but also a lot of the, the, the keynote speeches and stuff that I do is being a consciously inclusive leader. And that doesn't happen to be just for queer people, it's for anybody. Um, can be an awesome ally, can be consciously inclusive. And I think when you look at workplace cultures and you have folks, um, uh, I'll just, I'll choose Disney because I'm familiar with them, both they're a client, but also internal. Um, fantastic. They, they say it out there that we embrace everybody. Uh, family is family. They put money toward both local here in central Florida, but of course all global, um, different pride events and all that stuff. So their corporate values are in line with what they do. And I think there's other organizations that they say we're inclusive, but they really aren't so inclusive when you start to peel it back <laughs> or the corporate says yes, but then you have these pockets of different regional uh, functions within a workplace that maybe take the culture to a slightly different level. And I think that's where the nuances and, and maybe some of the discomfort kind of come into play about inclusivity and my uh, comfort with being my authentic self within that specific workplace. Yeah. And I think you're right, because I think specifically with Disney, now they used to have, and, and you know them better than I do, so I hope I'm not uh, misinterpreting <laughs> what they're doing, but they used to have ABC Family, where mm -hmm. the channel was very different. And now I think they rebranded to Freeform, where they're having shows like The Fosters and yep. different shows like that were all about two women race, racing foster yep. children. Yep. And so it's really great to see that on TV because, you know, I'm in my 30s now, but growing up, I didn't have a channel yeah. where I could go and see, hey, actually, I do have a future. I can have a wife. Yeah. I can have children. I can yeah, have a house sure. if that's what I choose to do with my life. And so it's interesting, right, in those two different, uh, different things from a personal perspective and, and, and corporate companies. But I do think that there's a lot of companies that when Pride Month comes along, they're like, all right, we're going to get all these flags and do all these things. <laughs> right. But then in, in, in real, yeah, but then it's like the other 364 yeah. days of the year. Are we really right. being inclusive? We will get back to our conversation in just a moment. 
But before we do, I want to give you all a quick reminder. If you would like to view more free content relating to business and mental clarity and how may this help you as a creative entrepreneur or individual contributor or whatever it is that you're doing in a corporate world, you may sign up for my newsletter by visiting maritaspara.com. The links are all in the description of the episode. With all that said, back to the show. Well, and I think that's, that's what's really fascinating. So, so a couple of things on that. Um, when I teach workshops on, on conscious inclusiveness, um, and I, I go to a variety of businesses, some are just like, bring it on, Steve. Some are just like, we were told to do this, you know, kind of thing. And so <laughs> I approach all of them the same way. I said, there's, there's three different reasons why your business needs to focus on being more conscious inclusive. On one side of the spectrum is um, the rules. You know, it's punitive. You're supposed to do this or else legal stuff happens. So there's that. On the opposite side is, you know, it's better for the world. You know, when we all feel included, we all do better, we feel better, we have better productivity, all that good stuff. So the, you know, the, the, it makes the world better. And then in the middle is the, it actually makes fiscal business sense. And there's study after study that show that businesses that have um, diverse leadership, including uh, gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, all that kind of at that C-suite or that leadership level, they do better, they're more innovative, they keep people longer, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I, I tell folks in my workshops, you know, whether you're coming at it, you were voluntold to be here, you're coming at it where you, know, you wanna make the world more inclusive for everybody, or you're like, you know what, I want my business to survive, all three are valid, you're here and let's focus on those. And usually if I phrase it that way, one, it lowers barriers. And then two, even if I came in because I'm like, well, I was voluntold to be here, by the end of those conversations, they're like, okay, this is a better way to do it. We are going to retain employees better. We are going to have a better return on investment. We are going to do better in our stocks or whatever if you're publicly traded. And you kind of start to woo them on the business case of being inclusive. And I think that's cool. That's fine. You know, as long as people get to the end result where we're going to embrace more inclusive actions and thoughts, great. That's, that's where we want to be. And from your uh, experience, usually when companies approach you and that, and that you touched a little bit upon that, do you think it's mostly because someone in leadership identified this or is it mostly human resources did some research and were like, actually, we really need to do this. So they have to bring <laughs> in leadership and try to like, maybe not convince them, but try to right. put the story together yeah. to it, where, why we need to do this. Uh, that's a great question. Um, so, I've seen it both ways, and now I'm going to put my change management IBMer hat on. Um, for human behavior to stick, it's not just like like people have me come in and do like a one hour keynote. And they're like, y'all know that my one hour is not going to silver bullet change everybody, correct? And and so I'm very 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 specific that happy to have that one hour chat, but it takes a lot more stuff to make humans do things differently. I equate it to uh, going to the gym and, and getting fit. You know, I don't go to the Y for one day, assuming you go to the gym during these weird times. And all of a sudden <laughs> after that one hour workout, I'm like, yeah, I'm so buff. You know, that's not how it works. And, and, and changing human behavior in the workplace is the same way. It takes, yes, a training class, then it takes communication strategy, it takes measurement strategy, it takes that senior leadership that's supporting it. It takes that middle management to support it. And so, Oftentimes, yes, HR says, Steve, come in and do your spiel. Awesome. But if the senior leaders aren't on board with this, or more importantly, perceived to be on board with it, that's the important nuance, then it's not going to really stick with the rest of the team. And so it really has to have kind of that team member effort, if you will. Yeah. And I agree because I've seen where um, 
folks are brought in, people like you with the expertise and the knowledge. And you all do fascinating trainings because some of them for me are like, it's great to really put into perspective when you're a minority, but maybe someone is not a minority to explain. Right. And and some people also experience this from um, just being a straight white man where mm -hmm. they don't understand it. Sure. And so those trainings really open their eyes. But if there's a difference between having a training one day or maybe two days if it's a workshop and then the conversation ended. Right. So we're never yeah, seeing that change. And I see that a, a lot. So... Yeah, and, and what's sad is, um, you know, this summer when Black Lives Matter, social justice became such a really awesome, huge focus, as it should be, in my opinion. Um, slightly biased, but I'll totally own that bias, right, because that's what I do. <laughs> um, but what I'm watching organizations now is what are they still doing? And, and that's the telling sign because, you know, I, like I, I got into a, um, a, a, a social media ex heated exchange, if you will, but it actually ended quite well with this um, uh, nonprofit social organization I'm, I'm a part of. And they're you know multinational group. Um, thousands, thousands of people are part of this group. And of course, they made their big, big rubber stamp, you know, all uh, Black Lives Matter, love is love, all this stuff that they said in June. And I got on there and said, you know what, that's great, but what are you actually going to do? Because a statement from the board of directors doesn't do a hell of a lot to make inclusivity happen. Correct. And so we, and so I got a call from the CEO of the organization and they're like, we need to talk. I'm like, oh, I'm getting called to the principal's office. <laughs> and actually they were, he was fantastic. He's like, you're absolutely right. What should we do? And, and so we had this beautiful conversation. Now they're a client, ironically enough. So I'm helping them do this stuff. And that wasn't and my well. intent. Yeah, yeah, it did. So not just for me personally, but, but for them, he was smart. He's a smart leader. And he said, you're right. We need to do more. I just don't know what that is. Can you help us? Of course I can. And so we're having this continual dialogue and they're doing stuff. You know, I mean, we have a workshop coming up in a few weeks. And then we're doing all this stuff in 2021 that we planned. And I'm like, you're doing it right. And this is not selfish because I'm doing it. But, um, but it's, it's it's nice. They're being thoughtful. And it's not just that one drip thing. It's the constant drip, 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 drip to change their organizational culture to be more inclusive. And I applaud other leaders for doing the same. Yeah. And I agree. And, and I love that. And most of my listeners are entrepreneurs and creatives. So they are in those leadership positions. But the other side of the coin, right? If we have some folks, which I don't want to turn those away, who are working for companies and are individual contributors. Mm -hmm. um, do you see that there's something that they could be doing um, to bring, to kind of bubble this issue up so that leadership kind of like does something? Is, is there any tips or tricks that you could offer them? Yeah, it's actually one of the things that I do in a lot of my conversations and on the being consciously inclusive leader is I take the approach um, that we all can be an awesome ally for someone else. And so if you're within a workplace, even if you're a business owner, I mean, you have the opportunity to be an awesome ally to someone else. And what that takes, and that's why I use the phrase being consciously inclusive, um, because we all can be consciously inclusive for everyone around us. It doesn't have to be just for your community or your demographic or in your case, Marita, you know, all those three little intersectionalities that you have going on there. Um, but, but we can do that. You know, I, as a gay man, I have made it my personal challenge to be an advocate on behalf of women in general. Uh, not matter of fact, when I was at IBM, I was with the women's group, women's network, which was awesome. I learned so, so much. And also, also being a trans ally, because even within our community, the LGBTQ plus, I say plus, not plus, because it sounds cooler. And I lived in France. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but even within our, our alphabet soup, there's a lot of uh, people who are non-T, non-trans, who still have questions and don't know. So I, I'm trying to be somewhat of a conduit in that community. I'm still always learning, of course, because I will not fully understand that experience. 
but I'm trying. And, and I think we all can do that. Um, I will never know what it's like to be disenfranchised because of my gender within this society. However, I can at least bring my male voice to the table to be like, hey, why are you saying it that way? Why are you not doing this? Why even little things like, hey, that PowerPoint where you're showing the, the, the mid-manager, why is it always a middle-aged white dude that you're showing? Why can't you have some diversity in that, that representation there? And I think it takes all of those voices asking those questions to be that great ally. And I think anybody can be an awesome ally for anybody else. Yeah, I think that's a great that's a great way of seeing it because I think it touches a little bit on what I said about um, maybe not being a minority yourself and not understanding. So how can I be an ally and vice versa? Because yeah. you can be, for example, a, a white straight man who is an individual contributor and has someone in leadership who's part of the LGBT community. So how can you be an ally for them and yeah. they help you with your career path? So that's kind of like a happy medium right there. At least that's an example no, that I just I thought of. <laughs> totally agree. And you know, it's funny because I've, I've been a part of a lot of LGBTQ advocacy groups, you know, folks like Out and Equal, um, folks like uh, the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce. And the allies who are in the room are just so amazing. And, and, and I always ask them, why? Why are you doing this? Why are you sitting down, spending your time to promote inclusivity for my particular community? And they always say one, they typically, I should say, uh, typically say one of two things. One, I have someone who I love who is part of your community and I want to indirectly support them through these efforts. Rock on. Two, um, I often hear, I didn't understand your community and this was my way to do that. And now I, I just want to do everything I can to make things equal. And it's like, that's awesome approach. And I think we all can do that. You know, if you're, um, if you're within a business, find an employee resource group that you're not a member of, and that's not your demographic makeup and go do it. Go join that. Um, you know, if you are uh, your, your own business, your own gig economy, you can do the exact same thing, just maybe not in the workplace. Maybe go join um, when it's socially acceptable, a church or an organization <laughs> that isn't, you know, again, your demographics and just start to explore and expand your horizons to be that awesome ally. I, I've seen in the past, maybe, and I'm not in, in, in this, um, I guess, topic all the time. It's not my, my forte, uh, <laughs> as it is for you. But I've seen in the past maybe two, three years, at least in, in, from what I've seen, that companies are now bringing in diversity and inclusion kind of departments, right? They have a team of three, four people, a director mm -hmm. or whoever they build it. Um, do you think that's the right path? Do you think that having those people in-house, but also having experts like yourself and maybe combining those forces, mm -hmm. do you think that's the way of the future? Uh, what I what I see is organizations doing, especially larger organizations, but even smaller ones. Even if you're like out there and you have a, like four person business, you're running a coffee shop or or something small. You set the organizational culture tone. Period. And one of the pieces of advice I was doing a, a, a podcast the other day with a, um, a also an entrepreneurial kind of focus, and I said it's never too early to start thinking about what workplace culture you want to set. And as the owner, as, as the founder, as the president, as whomever, that's your job. That's what you do. So through hiring decisions, through ma making statements on your website, through, through living and breathing, what it is that you say are your organizational values, you have that power. And I think or work, bigger workplaces, to get to your point, are, are doing that as well and, and have been doing that. You know, it used to be like you know, our diversity department. It used to sit under HR. Sometimes it sits differently. Smart organizations have it sit within the strategic focus of the business because, again, getting back to that business focus, it's a smart way to make, make business grow too. Um, and then 
then you started to see like, oh, diversity and inclusion. And then you know, they became their thing. And then the smarter businesses now are looking at the concept of either um, equity and justice or belonging. And I love the, I, equity and justice is important, but I love the phrase uh, diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Because like, and it was said to me when I first worked at Disney and started getting into this world, um, diversity is like being asked to the dance. You know, you say, oh, everybody come, just come and, you know, come here, go through the doors. Um, inclusion is being actually asked to dance at that that big event. So you're, you're being in, asked to be actively involved in the situation, in the event, um, in, in this case. But belonging, and, and it's, it's really just starting to catch on, belonging flips it around. It's not about the workplace. It's about the individual employee. And so if I, as a, as a workplace uh, member, as an employee, feel a sense of belonging because it's inclusive, my voice is heard, I'm respected, I can bring my authentic self to that workplace, that's gold. And that's where I get my most productivity as an employee. I give it my all. I'm a raving fan for the workplace. And you, you start to do better work that way. And I think smart work, workplaces looking at the future are, are, are thinking about not just being diverse and inclusive, but how we foster a sense of belonging for everyone within our workplace. And that's being consciously inclusive. Yeah. And I was actually going to say something along those lines because I feel that um, a company that's very young startup per se, right? And they don't really focus on their culture, but then they start growing and growing, getting seed mm -hmm. money, and then they get to a point where they're huge. And then they realize, all right, now we're 500 people. How do I yep. turn this around? Yep. It seems like a much bigger task. And then at the same time, at, at some point in that interview process, you probably brought in someone from the LGBT community or someone from another minority group who maybe don't feel like they belong and then mm -hmm. they left and they yep. could have been a great employee because they have a great uh, background, get experience. And so now you lost this person. But I think it does, it, like you mentioned, uh, it really brings up productivity because when you feel that you belong and you feel yeah. that your voice is heard, you do more, you go that extra mile without even getting a bonus, right? Not, we're not even talking about bringing in the bonus or the races or anything right. like that. It's just the fact of just feeling that you belong that immediately I feel like goes up. There's a, um, and I know you're going to ask me later, but I'm going to mention it now. There's a fantastic <laughs> book that I, and I read years ago, and I still quote it. Um, it's called, by Dan Pink, and it's called Drive. And it's about human motivation, especially when it comes to the workplace. And um, a, lot of, a lot of my leadership stuff, as a matter of fact, I even quoted it in my book, because um, Dan Pink cites this research, and it's not his research, it's just been repeated over and over, what motivates people in the workplace. And it boils down to um, three things. Um, it's, it's about um, autonomy mastery and sense of purpose. So autonomy, let me go do my job, leave me alone. People like that feeling, believe it or not, as adults. Um, uh, you know, autonomy and then mastery is, um, I, I want to get really good at something. And, and he uses the, the analogy of why people play a guitar or an instrument on the weekends. Not because they're going to go like head to Carnegie Hall and get on stage. It just feels good. You get better at something. You like that feeling of, of accomplishment. And then sense of purpose is the other thing where when people have that feeling, that sense of purpose within their workplace, they do better. They, they contribute more. So if, if we as leaders, and, and I look at a leader as anybody. You can be an individual contributor, uh, an army of one, uh, you know, leading a team of 20, 40, 100. Um, you have the opportunity to, to create that guard in that environment. So if you're thinking about autonomy, mastery, and sense of purpose to motivate your employees, your work people, that's awesome. And you need to kind of keep that going. This is amazing. I did want to put a kind of bring in a space of like, is, is there anything that, that I haven't asked 
that I should have asked <laughs> in this conversation <laughs> that that you feel is important for um, the group of people that listen, right? Like sure. creators, entrepreneurs, and maybe individual contributors, all of those kind of pool of, of listeners. Yeah, I, I think one of the, the best piece of advice I've ever received uh, eons ago was un start to understand my own unconscious biases. And, and so that's, I, I use the phrase being consciously inclusive, but it really, it, you know, the opposite is really unconscious bias. And um, I stopped using that phrase actually when I worked at Disney, because um, I was doing a workshop and, and there's a gentleman sitting in the back of the room. He was very voluntold to be there, meaning, you know, someone, someone forced him to be there. And uh, <laughs> he was kind of in the back, his hands were folded and he just has this little scowl on his face. And during one of the breaks, I went up to him and I will say, Bob, I'm like, hey, Bob, you got something, something on your mind about this? He's like, well, if that's unconscious bias, I can't do anything about it because it's unconscious. And, and I was like, okay. So ever since then, it, Bob stuck with me in a good way um, because, you know, it is an unconscious. You can be consciously inclusive. And so, but it starts with understanding your own unconscious biases. So if you're a business owner, um, you're in the workplace if you Google Project Implicit, um, you're going to find free resources. I get no kickback. It's actually all free. Um, it's, a, it's a way to start to uncover what are potentially your own unconscious biases. And in order for us to be consciously inclusive, we need to start there. So play around with those because you never know. You could be um, inadvertently disenfranchising potential customers, employees, um, vendors, whoever that is because of those unconscious biases that you don't even know are there. So take the moment, take that time for not just you, but your business to understand where they are and then start to work to de-bias yourself because we can de-bias ourselves and that's kind of the cool part. Yeah. And I think I'm, I'm happy that you brought that point because I don't think I've ever seen it that way where I also think I only think of inclusivity and diversity of how can it affect your company internally as like productivity, your employees and just, you know, uh, relatively just making money basically. Yeah. But it does affect maybe your relationship with your vendors. I never yeah. saw that it can actually just um, affect both internally and externally yeah. with those relationships. That's a really good point because I never yeah. thought of that way. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of people <laughs> didn't either. Yeah. Um, this is, this has been a great conversation. I think is a very complex topic. And so in like 30 minutes, there's so much we can do, <laughs> right, but I right, think right. this is a really good crash course for folks that are looking to educate themselves, educate others, bring in someone that has so many over 25 years of experience into a company and really <laughs> teach them um, really how to embrace diversity and inclusion and how the impact that it can, that it can have in, in folks. Um, I do like to ask, like uh, I told you before, yep. the wrap-up questions. And so I shared them with my guests before because I, I don't like to script my, my interviews. But those two questions, I do like to get folks a couple of minutes before the interview to get your thoughts together okay. so that you can come with some really good um, knowledge-based answers on that. So the book one, we'll skip that one because you shared that book. It was really I good. I did. Although I will, <laughs> I will, I will co totally um, biasly share um, my book, Pride Leadership. <laughs> so, yes, please just, do. Pride Leadership Strategies for the LGBTQ plus leader to be the king or queen of the jungle. However, big shiny asterisk on that. Um, a lot of the folks who are reading it, a lot of the folks who are going through my online leadership class that goes with it are all allies. So um, it's it's a really focused leadership book, looks at what I've seen to be the, the top six leadership competencies that really any leader can, can focus on, things like being authentic, having leadership courage, looking at empathy. These are gold for anybody in the workplace. And plus, my book is probably the best leadership book for dad jokes. So if you're looking for <laughs> lighthearted humor, but with like solid leadership and business theory in it, 
Pride Leadership is where you want to go. And I did record the audiobook during the pandemic. Um, and ironically, I did it in my closet. So my gay leadership book was recorded in the closet. So womp womp. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, the other uh, question, I guess, when you're not thinking of diversity and inclusion, <laughs> um, <laughs> when you're not doing that, that nine to five, if you will, um, what are th some things that you like to do to like decompress and just yeah. relax and take a breather? So away from my my physical office, um, I like to uh, I like to run, um, but I don't do that much anymore because I just turned fifty and my knees say no, Steve. So I try to swim <laughs> if I can um, and do some sort of physical activity, working out and all the good stuff. I have two uh, canine children. Um, which are awesome. I like to take them and do some fun things. I should say I like to hang out with my husband because we've been together for like 23 years. So I'll, I'll just put that in there just so I don't get in trouble later. Should he listen to this podcast? <laughs> um, and uh, and, and I, I, I do like to write as well. And I didn't realize I liked to write until, um, I mean, I've been doing articles and things for various publications throughout several years, you know, and you know, 500 words, ah, it's easy to do. And then when I finally went down the path of doing, uh, doing my book, and it's technically my third book, but it's my first real book. Like I said, like I had a real publisher, I had a bunch of editors, like it was, it was like the real process versus, um, oh, I think I'll self-publish something, and, you know, which is not, not a bad deal, but it was, it's a little bit flexible when you do it that way versus kind of this more formalized process, but I actually liked it. And I, I find myself actually working on the next book. So um, I like to kind of play around with that as well. So those are probably the, the, the highlight things for now. Yeah. And it's good that you talked a little bit about the difference between self-publishing and having actually like a publishing company, because I have a couple of people that have self-published and I think it's harder to it's, kind of hold harder. yourself accountable because you don't have someone being like, well, this is totally doing four agree. months, like, yep. or we need to <laughs> review this for its wrap, like, hurry up. <laughs> so you do need to keep yourself accountable. So I think it's also a good little yep. kind of tip for people that are thinking totally of writing agree. a book. Totally agree. Um, and, and I have a ton of resources um, on, on what worked for me because I, my second book was self-published and I, it was like sticking pins in my eyes. It was so hard. So... It's, it's a lot to learn. I think it, there is a significant learning curve when it comes to, to do something like that. Agreed. I did want to also uh, provide just a quick space if people yeah. want to learn more about you, your book, um, any type of other work that you're doing, where can they find you, social media, websites, anything like that? Yeah, the best place to, to kind of go is um, topdoglearning.biz, B-I-Z. There you can kind of connect to all sorts of stuff. I have a, a, a ton of um, online learning. Uh, like, I mean, my doctorate's in instructional technology and distance education. So pre-COVID, I was like, Zoom was my jam anyway. So we have a lot of online learning around both diversity, inclusion, leadership, resiliency, and times of change. Um, and you'll see stuff about my book out there, some latest bloggy thingies, and, and, and stuff. So, and it's a way also to get a, a hold of me if you want to say, hey, Steve, and have a virtual coffee or chat. Amazing. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for being part of the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Again, I think this is actually the first interview that I've done where we're talking about diversity and inclusion, which, what? yeah, we're usually talking about like money and social media, but no, right. this is important too. So I did want to make a space to have an awesome. amazing guest uh, talk about that as well. Thank you so much. It was great. Our mental health and performance in corporate organizations is due to us feeling productive and heard. For years, the LGBTQ community did not have a voice. This not only affected those in the community, but organizations as well. Creating a culture in companies is usually the last thing leaders think about, but at times it sets the direction of their mission statements and how folks communicate with each other. This can cost company tons of money as you are not able to retain talent and this 
leads you to having to rehire and retrain. I hope that with our conversation today, you're not only able to take away some personal growth lessons, but some lessons that you can apply to your business as well. But for now, peace out, and I'll see you next time.